Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. We're keeping our focus this week on the US presidential election, now just over four weeks away. Chaotic, toxic and bitter were some of the milder words used to describe Tuesday night's opening debate between President Donald Trump, the Republican candidate, and his Democratic challenger, Joe Biden. Suzanne Lynch, our Washington correspondent, joins me now from there to take a brief look back at the wreckage from the debate in Cleveland, Ohio, and to give us some pointers as to where the campaigns go from here. Um, Suzanne, where to begin? We don't want to spend this conversation pouring over the sheer awfulness of what we witnessed on Tuesday night because enough of that has been done already, I suppose. But should we have been surprised by how that debate unfolded? No, I think is the answer to that, Chris. I mean, in, in many ways, both of these men performed to type. Uh, Donald Trump uh, is still playing the kind of outsider role, uh, even though he's now the president. And his tactic was to go on the the attack, to consistently interrupt, to not listen to anybody else and to kind of steamroll through the the 90 minutes. Um, Joe Biden, you know, some people may be watching him for the first time for a sustained number of minutes, may have been disappointed about some of his deliveries. He seemed to, particularly towards the end, you know, maybe lose its train of thought slightly. Um, he didn't have the force of personality Donald Trump had, but that, that is Joe Biden at the moment. And that is what the kind of candidate he is. So um, I'm not that surprised it happened the way it did, uh, but it really is unprecedented. Over the last few decades, there have been contentious uh, presidential debates, but usually there's some space uh, for considered uh, reasoning about policy perspective and a kind of slower pace. If you listen back to some of the clips from before, it's always, you know, it's been taken down a notch. People give each other that space to kind of finish their sentences, make a point. But that was absent on Tuesday night. It did look to me like Joe Biden did come to have a serious debate about the issues, but he quickly got sucked into a brawl with Trump and then the insults flew on both sides. The, the question is, is the radical question, left. Will you shut who is up, your, man? Listen, who is Was that a mistake on Biden's part, do you think? Or, or might some undecided voters have been impressed to see Sleepy Joe, as he's been dubbed, standing up to Trump in the way he did? I think it was it was relatively effective. I think for, for a lot of the debate, for most of the, of the debate, visually it was quite striking because Joe Biden kept his focus directly into the camera lens as in he was addressing Americans at home watching this, whereas uh, Donald Trump was um, angled towards Joe Biden and addressing, visually addressing his attacks to Biden. So in that sense, I think he got across this idea of, you know, I'm trying to rise above this. He, you know, Donald Trump is kind of annoying fly in the, in the, in the, on the periphery of my vision that I'm not going to engage with. But yeah, at, at times he struggled to keep his cool now, some of the lines he delivered were probably, you know, pre-cooked. You know, he said, um, you know, China's perfected the art of the steel and, you know, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. And then he famously said at one point, will you shut up, man? Um, so, uh, but the issue for Biden is, and this is a, a plus and a, and a minus, he, he didn't deliver them with the same kind of uh, aggression and clarity that somebody like Donald Trump delivers these one-liners. Um, so it might kind of meant, but it did mean that they were less offensive, if you like. They seemed less aggressive. So um, it, I think it could have been worse. Joe Biden has got a reputation for kind of flying off the handle himself. 
um, and his advisors would have warned him that Donald Trump was going to come after him um, on different issues. So I think, you know, relatively speaking, he did manage uh, to keep his cool quite a bit. It was interesting that he seemed to get stronger as the debate went on. So he certainly probably laid to rest any kind of stamina questions, didn't he? Yeah, that's true. I mean, towards the very, very end, um, we could see him getting a little bit more ratty with Trump, but he absolutely kept going through, uh, through the 90 minutes. Uh, and this was always Donald Trump's problem. They had set the bar so low, Republicans had set the bar so low in terms of Joe Biden performance that anyone tuning in there um, would have seen, no, he's able to do it. He's able to, to debate him for the 90 minutes. Uh, so, yeah, I think so. As I said at the beginning, though, you know, he, do, he there is no doubt he doesn't have the verver, the energy, the voice that he had once. I mean, this is a man who spent 47 years in politics. Um, but I think... The, the debate about his the level of you know his candidacy that's a debate that happened a year ago when democrats were going through their primary they had all these candidates and for good or for bad this is who they chose so you know we are where we are when it comes to joe biden um, and he's not going to change he's not going to be this kind of visionary leader with rhetorical flourishes that's you know going to symbolize the future of america post trump that's just not what he is he's he's running as a, a restoration candidate in a sense, somebody who's been there, you know, symbol, symbol of the past, actually. Um, so uh, so from that perspective, I think, as I say, he played to type and he can be relatively pleased, I think, with his performance because, as you say there, he didn't make any gaffes. He kept going for the 90 minutes. And, you know, Trump now, as, as the days roll on here, I think it's really seen that, that, that Donald Trump overstepped the mark in a lot of ways and that he didn't win over any new voters. And of course, that was always a challenge for him. After all, Donald Trump is, is trading in the polls. So he had more to lose from this debate in that sense. Um, and it looks like he didn't do much to help his case among any undecided voters who may have tuned in. It seemed almost indecent to talk about a winner and a loser in a debate in which, I mean, some observers said American democracy really was the loser. But but given what you just said and, you know, a time to reflect, I suppose, on the reaction and that, do you think ultimately Biden was the winner? I think so. Yeah, I would have to say. Or another way of looking at it is that neither lost, <laughs> but but neither won either. But no, I think marginally, yeah, Biden at the edge. And there were a few snap polls um, done here in the hours after the, the debate. Now, for various reasons, they, you know, they're not completely reliable. Um, but they did seem to suggest to different extents that Biden had the edge there. Um, and I think the problem now for, I mean, it's too, sometimes with these events, there are kind of two two strands. There's the, the live debate for 90 minutes and the immediate reaction. And then there is the, the stand, standout comments and moments that dictate the news agenda for the next few days. We're now in this space. And what's happened now in, in the last, you know, in the 48 hours since the debate is uh, that Donald Trump's comments, A, his refusal to, um, to condemn white supremacy, and B, his, again, his uh, warnings about postal voting, his erroneous warnings, and um, that these, uh, this will lead to a rigged election. They have become kind of the standout themes now because we've seen all, the day after the debate, all the, the Republican members on the Hill were all asked about this and some of them criticised Donald, Donald Trump. So this has now become the narrative. Uh, and I think, you know, he's now on the defensive. And I don't think that's where he wants to be after this. Like, where was Donald Trump talking about his foreign policy achievements as, the, as he sees it, like the deal with the Israel and the UAE? Where was Donald Trump talking about the economy and some of the strong, better than expected um, relatively speaking, uh, figures we've seen in the last few weeks. We didn't hear any of that. Instead, we heard Trump, you know, motivated by personal grievance and insults 
and then stepping into this active minefield of white supremacy and basis accusations of electoral fraud. So I think a lot of people in his party uh, yesterday on the Hill were very disappointed that that's what's now um, emerge from this debate. And, you know, I think as, as the days go on, I think Joe Biden is kind of rising in stature because of that. And that brings me on, Suzanne, to my next question. Do you think, did, did we learn anything at all amidst all the noise of the debate and the constant interrupting of each other and so on? Did we learn anything at all about the priorities of either candidates, the policies they'll be focusing on in the campaign in the weeks ahead? Well, there were a couple of moments where there was some substantive debate. One of these was on coronavirus and, you know, Donald Trump trying to defend his, you know, his handling of this and Joe Biden trying to focus on that and, you know, questioning Donald Trump's suggestions that a vaccine will be ready quite soon and and Joe Biden saying, you know, experts are not suggesting that. And then um, the other, towards the end, there was quite a a long, relatively speaking again, but a, a, a sustained discussion on climate change. I thought that was quite interesting. Joe Biden, um, you know, he said he was going to um, join, rejoin the Paris Accord if he's elected in November. And we had Donald Trump trying to cast himself as a responsible president when it comes to climate change. He said at one point, oh, I believe climate change to an extent, he said, but then he kind of riffed on the idea of forests. And this is all to do with in California recently. Donald Trump has kept arguing that the problem is the trees, really and the debris of trees, not climate change. That's why there are forest fires. So he was very lost during that conversation. And I think that was when Joe Biden sounded like he actually had a plan. Um, so, yeah. So I'm sorry to cut in, but some extraordinary stuff from Trump about for- forest cities in Europe. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what he, what he was talking about <laughs> He did. There. He was talking about Europe and, and how they forest cities. I think the point he was trying to... I, I don't really know, actually, Chris. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. But this idea that really, you know, blame the forests, that, you know... When you have a lot of forests, this is what happens. Forest fires. I think that's what he was trying to say. So in other words, anything to avoid blaming climate change. That's really what he's trying to say there. And he talked about, which was a bit more subtle. He said at one point, you know, we have to kind of be responsible for the economy too. You know, we can't just think about climate change. And of course, that's going to resonate with a lot of American voters. You know, this is not, Can I, I really have to stress living here now that this is not a climate change friendly society. And, you know, um, compared to, to Europe. So, you know, a lot of those points would be would be taken on board by the American people. They don't really want Joe Biden to rush th- through with the Green New Deal. That's the, the landmark um, strategy that has been suggested by many uh, Democrats on the left, notably Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So Trump cleverly was trying to pin Joe Biden to the Green New Deal. That, that was quite good. So in that interchange, I think, you know, that, that we saw something of substance. Um, but apart from that, very little. Now, Joe Biden has always been quite good on policy. His problem sometimes is his delivery, his energy, you know, his his timing. Whereas he's somebody who kind of prepares, a bit like Hillary Clinton in that way. So we had some of his facts and figures ready. And when you hear him here during his events talking about coronavirus, for example, he gets into the weeds on the vaccine, on the medication, on the numbers. Um, so I think he's definitely stronger than Trump on that. But he did, I think, which was also a good move. He didn't fact he didn't fall into the trap of live fact-checking Trump because I think he would have gone down a rabbit hole with him. So so he said, if you don't, that's just not true. That's just not true. But he, he didn't get into that back and forth. But then not to, to sound too, I mean, there were problems as well with Biden's preparation because there were a couple of things, for example, um, the his what, what he would do at a Supreme Court. Would he pack the Supreme Court if he got in with his own justices? Would he expand the Supreme Court? And he didn't have an answer for that. I was quite surprised because that was an obvious question. And also on Hunter Biden, his son, it got quite personal, which backfired on Trump because I think he showed that he, he, you know, a lack of empathy about 
about um, Biden's family circumstances and the loss of his other son, Beau. But um, when he was probed on what exactly was the connection with Hunter Biden and Ukraine and his allegations, he got 3.5 million from the wife of the mayor. Uh, Joe Biden didn't go there. He didn't have an answer. So I would have expected him to be a bit more prepared on some of those obvious questions. Um, maybe there's a strategy there. Maybe he doesn't want to go on the record about his plans for the Supreme Court. But that left Joe Biden kind of floundering, I think, at a few moments. Yeah, though it did seem to me on the Supreme Court, maybe he just didn't want to back himself into a corner and make a commitment that yeah. he would then be tied to, you know, into the future. Um, yeah, that's true. And of course, he's trying to balance the left of his party who want, who want him to do something radical on the Supreme Court. And he's really more of a traditionalist. So, yeah, it might have been, you're, you're right, a way of kind of just not getting dragged into that internal debate in the, in the Democratic Party. Now, on the Supreme Court, just moving on from the debate, the Supreme Court was, of course, the, the, the first segment was taken up with that. And people following this story will know that Donald Trump and the Republican Party are determined to immediately fill the vacancy on the court that has arisen uh, following the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg earlier this month. And it's a very controversial issue. And Trump did um, uh, name his nominee um, a few days ago. That's Amy Coney Barrett, highly respected conservative judge and um, the problem, I suppose, from the Democrats' point of view is her appointment would, would tilt the Supreme Court to the right for possibly many years to come. So that's kind of um, the quick background for people who haven't been following it. What's the latest on that story, Suzanne? Well, she started this week making calls to senators on Capitol Hill. Her official confirmation hearing will begin around October the 12th by the Senate Judiciary Committee. But it would be quite um, usual that senators have the opportunity to meet privately with Supreme Court nominees. So on uh, on Tuesday, she arrived to the Hill and uh, Mike Pence kind of introduced her in kind of a brief press moment. And the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, was there too. So she proceeded then to hold you know, meetings throughout the day with different senators. Now, interestingly, Democrats, a lot, most Democrats, it seems, have suggested they're not going to meet her. So Chuck Schumer kind of said, I'm not going to meet her. I already know this is a sham kind of kind of argument. Um, but she has been meeting with Republicans uh, anyway, um, so look, there has been a, a chorus of praise for Amy Coney Barrett by Republicans. Um, so also, I think the narrative this week really has focused on her um, as the woman who can have it all. You know, she's a mother of seven with her family and her supportive husband. And she's also now been nominated to the highest court of the land. So we saw a few of the of the of the female Republican senators kind of coming out and 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 pressing that angle. Um, but we're expecting then the, the committee uh, hearing and that will, people will remember the Brett Kavanaugh hearings that went on and were very contentious. You know, we expect something similar and these will be live, they'll be televised. You know, Americans tend to tune into these hearings. But of course now I think the challenge for Democrats is how to handle this. And again, Joe Biden was quite good on this um, uh, the other night at the debate because he, he was trying to kind of not attack the, the woman, attack her policies. So we kind of, I can't remember the exact phrase, we said, oh, she seems like a nice person, but these are her positions before on the Affordable Care Act, blah, blah. So we, we're probably going to see that, I think, from Democrats. In particular, um, they seem to be really focusing on health care. This obviously links to coronavirus, but the Supreme Court will be, is due to hear a challenge to the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, that's the, the official name for Obamacare, um, and they are pressing home the argument that they believe that that this is now this healthcare policy is now under threat. And you know, big picture here was that Obamacare was very unpopular for a long time, but people have now got used to it, and, and they actually don't want to lose their healthcare. And this really worked for House Democrats in two thousand and eight, 
18, during the midterm elections, Nancy Pelosi kind of cannily told her caucus that this is what we should be focusing on the doorstep. This issue, you know, really impacts American, you know, the threat to their health care. And it looks like, I think, Democrats are trying to play that playbook again this time around, and it might just work. That was quite effective the other night because um, the Trump administration, Joe Biden brought this up, has added its name to challenges to the ACA. So Donald Trump is kind of vulnerable on health care. So I think we might be seeing them focus on that. Now that we should also see a focus, obviously, on the implications of her confirmation on Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court ruling on abortion. But again, I think that it's dangerous territory for for some Democrats on this. Joe Biden himself, it's, it's a very interesting um, challenge for him. He is a Catholic. He will be the first Catholic president since John F. Kennedy if he is uh, elected in November. But Donald Trump has been quite aggressively going after the Catholic vote in the last few weeks. Um, Amy Coney Barrett is a devout Catholic. And um, I think it's quite difficult for, for Joe Biden to balance this because he, is, in, in his past life, was, was much more anti-abortion. Um, but it's kind of nuanced that view over the last few years. Really, you cannot be a Democratic politician like him and not um, support a woman's right to choose. Uh, but I've, fe- you know, he doesn't really want to get into that debate because he's got his past statements on that. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure some senators will, will focus on it, but I'd say at the moment they're going to go more in healthcare and try and not look like they're attacking her personally. And that's going to be the challenge. Uh, but nonetheless, it will be contentious when they start. And that would be just a couple of weeks, really, before the election. It's because it is, as you pointed out, Suzanne, it's very different, isn't it, from the Brett Kavanaugh uh, hearings, you know, Trump's uh, previous uh, uh, nominee, because he came before the Senate Judiciary Committee with question marks over his character and allegations about his past. So that gave them license to attack him, Absolutely, if you like. But as you mentioned, yeah. she's a mother of seven, uh, an impeccable record, two of her children adopted. You'd kind of say good luck to anybody who wants to challenge that woman's character. Exactly. Actually, um, but one person to look out for on in these in this who's a member of the chair of the committee. So, you know, the committee will run this and then eventually it'll go to a vote to the whole 100 member Senate is Kamala Harris, the vice presidential uh, running mate of Joe Biden. Now, incidentally, not to digress, we haven't seen much of Kamala Harris. You know, whether it's that she has failed to kind of break through the media narrative that's so crazy here day to day. But, you know, she's been pretty absent, but she's a member of the Judiciary Committee. And in fact, her national profile was raised during the Kavanaugh hearings because she was so good at at kind of interviewing and cross-examining him. She's a former prosecutor. She's very comfortable in that kind of adversarial role. Um, So she will be one of the people questioning Amy Coney Barrett. So I think that's going to be quite interesting. It actually could work quite well for her because, as I say, this will be quite high profile and she'll kind of show the American public what she's made of. And so that will be be one thing to watch, I think, when these begin. Now, we will, of course, see Kamala Harris next week in, in action, if you like, when the next debate takes place. And that's between the vice presidential candidates, Mike Pence, the vice president, and and Kamala Harris, Biden's running mate. I, I would imagine, or would you expect the tone of this debate would be a lot different? Yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it will be the first time these two figures face off. And um, I, I expect it will be because both of their styles are not are completely different to somebody like Trump or indeed Biden. Um, and both are good debaters. I mean, Kamala Harris is extremely competent. She'll be very prepared. You know, she's kind of stateswoman-like. Um, she's poised and controlled. And Mike Pence is not to be underestimated by any means either. He's one of the few Trump administration members who's managed to stay above the fray over the last almost four years. 
Um, he's still there. Mike Pence having the support of the president, even though they seem to be completely opposite when it comes to personality. Um, and he is a very experienced politician himself. He was in Congress and he's governor and he's he's quite good, you know, on the stump. So I think, you know, she people will, will, will initially thought that she would be that Mike Pence would be no match for Kamala Harris. But I don't think that's the case at all. I think they'll both be very prepared. And in fact, Chris, we may see a more substantive debate than we saw this week between the two candidates for president. But yeah, it, it, there's going to be a lot of focus on, on her. Um, but Mike Pence has been, you know, he's again a bit under the radar, but he is, he's around the country constantly these last few weeks. He was um, watching a kind of a debate watch party in Pennsylvania, for example, during the debate this week. He's out and about meeting supporters. So he's a very important part of the Trump brand because he obviously represents that link with the evangelical community and, the, and, and Christians who who voted for Donald Trump reluctantly, but someone like Mike Pence, that's why Trump Trump chose him, um, is a reminder, is, is kind of one of their people. So he, he's, he's, his role is going to be, it is very important in this campaign. Now, there are two more debates, of course, scheduled between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. What steps are likely to be taken to ensure that there's no repeat of what we witnessed in Cleveland this week? Well, the Commission on Presidential Debates announced on Wednesday that it's going to adjust the format of the remaining uh, debates in the wake of Tuesday's debate. And look, they it, it wasn't too detailed their statement, but they said, you know, several changes were are now under consideration. And most likely one of those would be limiting speaking time. So there was a kind of an open discussion portion of the debate where where the idea was that candidates would then have the time to debate over and back. Um, but they, they look like they might um, abolish that and just put a limit, a strict limit on each person's uh, time to answer. So um, it's also said to be weighing whether to allow the moderator to shut off a candidate's microphone to help restore order. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I can't see that happening, but that, that has been called for after what happened. And, and then another option they're looking at is in some way penalising candidates who interrupt their opponents and maybe that they would have to yield back the same, you know, time. Um, so look, they are looking at, at that. Now, they, they, in their statement, they, they put out quite a defence of um, Chris Wallace, the moderator, who was, who was criticised for not being able to, uh, to maintain order. Uh, but they, you know, they thanked him and for his professionalism and skill. I mean, some people, a lot of, there's been a lot of talk here about how he handled everything. And the only moment he seemed to be breaking through with Donald Trump when he said, it was, it was quite a good line when he said, look, your, your team agreed to these ground rules to do two minutes each and then open discussion and you're not sticking with them. So perhaps if he said that earlier, maybe, you know, it could have been a bit more disciplined, um, but he didn't. And the next, so the next debate, which is interesting in Miami, is it going to be a different format anyway? This is more of a, like a town hall, they call it for, format, where members of the audience ask questions. But then the third debate, um, just before the election in Nashville, that's back to the format we saw this week. So that town hall style debate, I think that probably works better for Joe Biden. He's he's very good when he kind of like, he make the eye contact with the person in the audience and tell them how he feels or pain and ask them questions. Where, whereas Donald Trump, you know, it doesn't, doesn't handle it like that at all. He just, you know, plays off a question the way he would for any interviewer. So that, perhaps that's going to change the tone of the debate anyway. Well, we can we can live in hope, Suzanne. Thanks for that. Uh, we look forward to reading your continuing coverage of the campaign on irishtimes.com. But that's all for today. For more on this and other stories, go to irishtimes.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now. 